You're listening to the Soul Career Podcast, the podcast that brings you stories from people who've taken a risk to discover careers that fill them with purpose and make them come alive. I'm your host, Lysandra Ricketts. Now for the episode. Earlier this month on the podcast, I interviewed Yasmina Zaidman, Chief Partnerships Officer of Acumen, a global nonprofit organization that changes the way the world tackles poverty by investing patient capital in early stage businesses whose products and services are enabling the poor to transform their lives. So we actually connected at the Andy Conference. Andy stands for Aspen Network of Development Entrepreneurs. It's an organization that brings together other organizations that use entrepreneurship to solve large global problems in emerging markets. And in October 2016, I had just learned that I was about to become the next CEO of the Richard Branson Center of Entrepreneurship, which was a member of the Andy Network. And so I went to the Andy conference and there was a dinner one evening and I sat at a dinner table with these amazing women and on my left was Yasmina and on my right was actually the CEO of Water for People, which is a nonprofit that helps to tackle water issues around the globe and her name was Eleanor Allen. So Yasmina, Eleanor and I had a fantastic conversation at this table about women in leadership roles, about balancing work and life as a leader of an organization. And at the end of that dinner, Yasmina offered to be my mentor as I stepped into this new role that I had actually never had before. So we became close friends over the course of this mentorship relationship. We started out by talking once a month in my early days as CEO of the Branson Center. And then now we talk about once a quarter or once every couple of months. And whenever I'm in New York, I, we, we try to make an effort to meet up in person and continue that relationship, which has been so beneficial to my life. So what I wanted to do on this episode of the podcast was talk a little bit more of the space that we're both in, which is the social impact space, and try to give you some tips on how you can craft a career in this space if you're interested. So where I wanted to start was with the personality. That's where we always start at Soul Career. What is your personality type? What motivates you? What interests you? And what makes you happy in a career? There are a set of personality types that are attracted to the mission-driven world more so than others. So I'm going to talk about Myers-Briggs here, the Myers-Briggs type indicator, because most people around the world have taken this particular personality assessment. Um, so there are others that I use more in my program at Soul Career, but Myers-Briggs is one that most people have used. It's very easily accessible. There are free tests available. And I like the test that's used at 16personalities.com because four, close to 400 million people around the world have taken the one at 16personalities.com. So the results tend to be more accurate than not. What I wanted, I wanted to give a disclaimer though before I go into this. Personality assessments or psychometric assessments are not an exact predictor of where you should end up. They give really good guidelines about what motivates you, what interests you, what makes you happy. But people with different types end up in all sorts of positions that may not be an exact match, but their training is layered on top of their personality type and they're able to fit into roles which may not have seemed a perfect match to begin with. So don't take this as gospel, but what it does give us is some insight and some guidelines and some trends to look at. 
So using Myers-Briggs, the people that are most interested in the mission-driven space tend to be the NF personality types. So 16personalities.com calls this group the diplomats, but really it's people who are more idealistic, more mission-driven, more passionate about changing the world. These types tend to have NF in their personality type on Myers-Briggs. So that includes ENFP. I'm an ENFP, so I'm very attracted to this space. ENFJs, INFPs, and INFJs. Those four types tend to be overrepresented in the nonprofit social impact world. So I'll talk a little bit more about what this means. The N is, stands for intuitive. Intuitives are people who look for deeper meanings under the surface in everything that they come across. Whereas the S stands for observant types. I don't know why it's called S instead of O. But S types tend to be focused on more on tangible things, on practical, pragmatic. What you see is what you get. Let's not search for the hidden meeting here. Let's look at exactly what we see on the table. So intuitives versus sensory or observant types. Then you have the F types versus the T types. F stands for feelings. So feeling types tends to look at more emotion and connection. They want to impact people. They want to understand people. T types tend to look at processes and systems and tend to be very logical, this, then, that. Um, so the NF type is the type that is overrepresented in the mission-driven space. So I want to define this space a little bit for you as well so that you can understand if you are an NF type or even if you're not an NF type, but you want to have an impact on the world, on people, where are the different places that you could potentially fit in and what space speaks to you more than others. So I like to define the space by putting it in three broad categories. This is the social impact space. So category number one is going to be the money. Category number two, I like to classify as the programs. And category number three is the hybrids. And I'll explain what each of those mean. So social impact in general is any activity that puts the well-being of humankind, humanity, society above all other considerations like profit, especially profit. So that's my personal definition of the space. So we're going to look at the money, the programs, and the hybrids. So let's start with the money in this space. In social impact, the money comes from large, very large donor organizations that grant large sums of funds to other organizations that then execute the programs that benefit society or benefit a specific population within society. So the number one donor entity in the social impact space is, of course, government. And it's often the first place that many people think of working in when they want to change the world, right? Public policy, government, social good, that is the biggest player in this space. And they're often the largest donor entities in the space. Many people who are drawn to mission-driven work are drawn to working in government. However, government comes with politics, <laughs> it comes with bureaucracy and administration. 
So, and though that type of work, like a lot of routine, a lot of paperwork, a lot of corporate politics or government politics or politics politics, most NF personality types don't do well with that kind of work, which is very interesting. Um, the, the more J types and the more SJ personality types actually do best in government, interestingly enough, but they're the biggest players in the space and I put them in the money category. Then we have a group of governments that come together to work on specific initiatives and 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 programs and projects that benefit humanity and these are called international organizations so multiple governments coming together to tackle these big global issues so like the united nations like the world bank the inter-american development bank these are all international organizations that are big donors in the space as well, often bigger than any individual government. And then you have philanthropy, philanthropic organizations. So these are private initiatives that tackle the public good and these broader questions facing humanity. So we have entities like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Clinton Foundation. These are large private philanthropic entities, but we also have corporate philanthropy. These are corporate corporations are still considered private entities. So you have entities like the IKEA. So we talked about on the podcast earlier this month, IKEA has a foundation that engages in corporate philanthropy. So any foundation that's associated with a company would end up in the corporate philanthropy category. So that's kind of what the space looks like under the money piece. You have governments, you have international organizations, and you have private foundations, philanthropic organizations. This is where the money comes from. And I want to make a quick note here about the the giving pledge, which some of you may have heard about. So the giving pledge is a commitment by the world's wealthiest individuals and families to dedicate more than half of their wealth to giving back to societal problems. And it was started by Bill and Melinda Gates as well as Warren Buffett, who've both committed to to give, I think, close to 60, 70, 80 percent of their wealth back to the public good. Um, And so a lot of the the world's billionaires are now signing on to the giving pledge. Very interesting to see that, uh, that emerging in this philanthropic world. So my interest in the social impact space actually started in this money section and specifically in the government part of things. When I was growing up in Jamaica, my first dream for myself was actually to be a journalist to go into different countries around the world and learn what was happening there and report back to the world what's happening in these countries. But, you know, my parents and my teachers and so on said, you can't make money being a journalist. You have to study something else. You have to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or at the very least a banker, something that earns you money. So I took a bunch of business and economics courses in high school And I just fell in love with economics, particularly because when I was in high school in Jamaica at the time, we, I remember very clearly that we were having these riots in the streets, gas riots. Oh, the government had increased taxes on gas, um, overnight and overnight people weren't able to afford putting gas in their cars and getting from 
home to work anymore and that led to this eruption in the streets when I was going to high school in Jamaica and I was learning about economics and business at the same time that this was happening and it really left an impact on me that these forces of supply and demand and scarcity and how things are priced and how things are taxed really has a very tangible physical impact on the society that I was living in. And I really wanted to help change things. So I found an area that I loved, economics, and I decided that I'm going to change things by being the Minister of Finance for Jamaica. And so I wanted to end up in government and impact the world through through working in government. And that's where my my second dream for myself came up. And I actually studied economics throughout my entire college career. I wanted to get a PhD in economics, and I ended up being a research assistant for the book Super for Economics coming out of college. And, you know, this is like how you get into a PhD program is first by being a research assistant for a well-known economist. So the economist I chose was the author of Freakonomics. And doing that work... I realized that academia, the PhD route, was not for me because you spend a lot of time behind a computer while I was working on regressions and residuals analysis and running Monte Carlos. I was a statistical programmer in statistical software for Stata, called Stata. And so my mentor, who is the author of Economics, Steve Levitt, he said to me, Lissandra, your personality, your, your people orientation, your energy is kind of lost behind a computer. I think you should be a CEO, um, not an academic. <laughs> and so he encouraged me to apply to business school and wrote me a fantastic rec- recommendation. And I ended up getting into Harvard Business School. And going to HBS exposed me to this world of wealth and wealth creation and this jet-setting lifestyle, and that really changed my whole trajectory for my life. Um, I no longer wanted to work in government anymore. In fact, I had worked in government. I ended up working in the Ministry of Finance in the summer after I left Freakonomics. I moved back to Jamaica, and I was applying to business school at the time, and I worked for the Ministry of Finance, and I realized I was working on really cool projects, but the internal strategizing of how to navigate personalities um, in order to get things done that kind of left me disillusioned from the whole political government landscape. And I decided, well, let me do what everybody else is doing in business school and end up in management consulting. And some of you will know this story that I actually ended up at Bain & Company, which is a top three management consulting firm. And I was in the New York office of Bain. um, And I ended up in the private equity group at Bain & Company working with hedge funds on due diligence for investments. And that experience, you know, I kind of lost myself in that experience. I felt like I was living somebody else's dream and not my own. I needed a mission. I needed to impact people. I'm an NF personality type after all. And so that world of focusing on profits and processes and systems and trying to one-up the next person and to get the, the last dollar out of this investment, it was just not for me. And I had to really take a step back from that life to rediscover who I was and what I wanted. So many of you guys know that story. I moved back to Jamaica after leaving Harvard Business School 
back into my parents' house. I gave up that world of wealth just to try to reconnect with my personal mission for my life that would guide the decisions that I made in my career. And I took three jobs in three years in Jamaica and every job I took in business just felt very mundane to me. It was like, what is the point of all this effort to just squeeze another dollar out of the corporation? This is not an interesting problem to me. This is not the problem that I want to solve. And at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to my original dream for myself of being a journalist. I'm going to forget Harvard Business School, forget everything I've done in the, in the past 10 years. And I am going to go move back to Spain where I had lived when I was in college and be a travel blogger and bartend my way to make money or be a waitress and write books and write a blog and become my version of a journalist. And right at the point I made that decision, an opportunity came up to be a part-time trainer of entrepreneurs at the Richard Branson Center of Entrepreneurship, teaching entrepreneurs business principles. This was a nonprofit organization that had a mission to change the Caribbean, to increase economic growth in the Caribbean through entrepreneurship by helping local entrepreneurs to learn how to be better business people, how to attract funding, how to accelerate their businesses, how to scale their businesses and transform the economy by doing that. And I was very drawn to that mission and I was like, okay, I can do this. I'm going to do this for six months, then get a plane ticket and move to Spain and work on my book and work on my blog. And I ended up staying at the Branson Center for seven years. So that was a little detour. That was my personal story of entering this space first by government, trying the government route and then moving into the program route, the nonprofit space, which is the second category in this social impact space, programs. So the programs are the organizations that receive the money from the donor, from the donor entities to execute on goals that improve the well-being of humanity. So these are the executing entities. And so the first kind of grouping within the programs category is the nonprofit organization. And this can be a very large multinational nonprofit, or it can be smaller, more local nonprofits. So these are entities that receive the grants, receive the funding and create programs that directly benefit the target populations. So we have the Branson Center, for example, which is a, a regional program that receives funding from the Virgin Foundation and other foundations and, and executes programs that target entrepreneurs in the Caribbean to help them scale and contribute to economic growth. Art museums are a great example of nonprofit entity as well that entities as well that receive funding and execute art programs and galleries and the museum that benefits humanity by injecting more art into the world. Acumen, um, Yasmina and Acumen, who are on the podcast, is an, another example of a great large global nonprofit organization that receives donor funding primarily from corporate philanthropy. So Yasmina mentioned their partnership with IKEA on the podcast. So they receive this funding from corporate philanthropists and execute programs in India, Pakistan, Africa, and other regions around the world. So that's the first category in the programs space. 
We also have NGOs in this space and NGOs, non-governmental organizations. This is harder to, to define what an NGO is. It's usually a very large, multinational, huge scale nonprofit that works around the world to tackle these major global problems. The best example of an NGO that I can think of is the World Economic Forum. It has global reach, huge donors from all over the world tackling massive global scale problems. So all NGOs are nonprofits, but not all nonprofits are NGOs. So NGOs are kind of very difficult to define. They operate like a government, but they're not governmental. That's my own personal definition, and I'm probably wrong there, but that's how I think about NGOs. And then you have the intermediaries in the space. You have people who receive donor funding and then distribute smaller grants to other programs to execute on projects that target populations. So when I think about this group, I think about Charity Water, which is this massive global nonprofit based in the U.S., that receives, I think, $70 million per year or so. That was the last number I remember from donor entities, from governments, from individuals, corporate philanthropy, and then distributes this in smaller chunks to programs in, specifically in Africa and Latin America that help to create better water distribution systems in those regions. So that's kind of what the program space looks like. And the Branson Center, of which I was CEO, is one of those programs. So as I mentioned before, the Branson Center's program was to encourage economic growth in the region through entrepreneurship. Now, when you think of a nonprofit, you don't necessarily think about entrepreneurship, business. Businesses are in the business of making money, right? So how is encouraging entrepreneurship a social impact program? I like to think about it as a hybrid program, which is what we're going to get to next. That's the third category in the social impact space, hybrid organizations. Countries that struggle with economic growth, like the Caribbean, like other regions of the world, in those countries, encouraging entrepreneurship, especially small and growing entrepreneurs, small and growing businesses, is a social impact mission because it's only growth that will that will lift the majority of the population out of poverty and so organizations that joined the aspen network of development entrepreneurs believe that encouraging small business growth is a social impact mission even though many of the businesses that we encourage through the branson center and through other organizations do have a for-profit mission but the end game is impact. The end game is growth, poverty reduction, wealth creation in these regions that have struggled to keep up the pace with more developed countries that are growing much faster than they are. So it's kind of a hybrid approach there when you think about entrepreneurship and economic growth. And that leads us to this third category, the hybrids. And the hybrid approach is looking at profit and impact together. So people, planet, and profit all matter in this hybrid approach. Whereas the programs that we mentioned, the nonprofit organizations and the large donor funds are primarily looking at impact over profit, the hybrid organizations look at both. 
And in the episode this month with Yasmina, we started off really talking about impact investing. So impact investments are investments made with the intention to generate positive, measurable social and environmental impact, as well as a measurable financial return. Impact plus profit side by side. And the intention behind these investments is to do both. Whereas traditional investing is primarily for a financial return. So impact investing really challenges these views that social and environmental issues should be addressed only through the philanthropic charity world and that the market should focus exclusively on achieving financial returns. Impact investing challenges that view and says, no, we can pursue both at the same time. So that's kind of the first grouping in this space of the hybrids that I wanted to discuss. The second group is who are the impact investors investing in, right? So these are the social entrepreneurs. The main aim of a social entrepreneur is to create large-scale transformational change for underserved, neglected, or highly disadvantaged segments of society. The goal for social entrepreneurs is uh, is this goal of change for underserved communities is above the profit goal. So although social entrepreneurs also want to generate income and profits, the social impact goal is more important than the profit goal. And usually investors in social entrepreneurs tend to be philanthropic investors, impact investors like Acumen or government organizations. That's who invest in social entrepreneurs. But I want to stick up in here because impact investment isn't just exclusive to investing in social entrepreneurs. Impact investors can invest in large for-profit entities that are trying to change the world or help with climate change, solar energy companies, um, even Whole Foods, the, the, when it started, could have been thought of as an impact investing opportunity. So impact investment isn't limited to so, social entrepreneurs, but social entrepreneurs tend to get most of their investment from philanthropic, uh, philanthropic entities, governments, or impact investors. I hope that's clear. And social enterprises themselves can be nonprofits or for profits. And I've actually seen hybrid models here where social enterprises have a nonprofit arm that receives donor funding, philanthropic funding, government funding, and a for profit arm that executes on their for profit agenda as well. So you can have both kind of entities within a social enterprise. So there's a lot of innovation that's happening in that space. The other thing I wanted to address in this hybrid space in the social impact world is something called a certified B corporation, uh, which is also known as a B Corp, right? So this is a certifying body that measures a company's impact, not just on profits, but on its workers, its customers, the community that it's involved in, and the environment, and shows whether these companies are meeting standards or not. So a certified B Corp is a new type of corporation that is purpose-driven and that creates benefits for all stakeholders, not just the shareholders. B Corps believe that businesses should be used as a force for good. And smiling because Richard Branson talks about this all the time, business as a force for good. 
corporations are no longer just in the business of making profit. We look at corporate leaders to help us with societal problems as well. And B Corps are certifying those corporations that make that an, an indelible part of their mission. So Patagonia, um, this is an outdoor apparel company that makes jackets and so on. The, they are a certified B Corp, a great example of what a certified B Corp can do. They work hard to protect the environment as well as create profits through their apparel line. So look into Patagonia if you want to see a great example of a certified B Corp. So this example of Patagonia really begs the question, should all businesses move towards this hybrid model of people plus planet plus profit? In fact, all the hybrids that we talked about, impact investing, social entrepreneurs, certified B Corps, all of them are showing us the way that business can move into this space of not just targeting profit and maximizing shareholder value, but moving into the space of impact and profit alongside each other. And something happened in 2019, August 2019, that was very, very interesting. The Business Roundtable put out this statement redefining the purpose of a corporation. So first, let's talk about who the Business Roundtable is. This is a, a group, an association that represents the chief entrepreneurship officers of America's leading companies. I think about 200 CEOs of the top companies by revenue and, and shareholder value and employees, 200 CEOs are part of the Business Roundtable. And these CEO members lead companies that with totaling 20 million employees and more than 9 trillion US dollars of annual revenue. So a very powerful organization here. And in August 2019, the Business Roundtable issued a statement redefining the purpose of a corporation away from just increasing shareholder value and towards a commitment to all stakeholders, customers, employees, suppliers, communities, and shareholders as well. And this new statement was signed by 181 CEOs. So this kind of affirms that everybody's moving in this direction of rethinking the role that corporations play in society because we see these large corporate, these, these famous celebrity CEOs that are really changing the way the world thinks about, uh, about how we impact societies and the environment, like Bill Gates, like Richard Branson, right? So now we're saying, well, hold up, corporations are not just about profit. They too have a role to play in societal well-being which is really, really exciting and really important because now the NF personality types and everyone else that's interested in a mission-driven career, we don't just have to look at nonprofits or government or these hybrid spaces. We can now look at all businesses, look at their missions, look at their core values and determine, do I fit in with that company? We have a lot more options now for impacting humanity either through business or through the nonprofit traditional social impact space. So I want to end this episode with a framework for how to go after a mission-driven career if that's what you're interested in. And so at Soul Career, everything that we, we teach, train, coach in follows this four-step framework. Step one is psychology, understanding your psychology and your personality first before you make any decisions after that. 
So what matters to you? Does impact matter? Do you want to change the world? Is that more important to you than other motivators like money or status or prestige? Then yes, you're a great fit for the, that spa- this space if that is true. Um, what are your personal core values? So all, the, all of that comes under step one of understanding your psychology. That's the first P, psychology or personality. The second P, step two, is how do you position yourself? So that's positioning. How do you position yourself to go after opportunities in this social impact space? So look up the companies in the space. Look up jobs in the space. Go to idealist.org and just look through all the opportunities. Sorry, idealist.com, not .org. And see what draws your attention. Where does your energy really come alive when you're looking at the job description or when you're investigating the company? And where does your energy feel like, ugh, I don't want to go after that. That's really important to understand where you should position yourself in the space. Then you're going to reach out to people on LinkedIn, network with them, ask them for information and get informed about what's happening in the industry, especially coming out of the pandemic. And then you can craft your positioning documents, resume, cover letter, LinkedIn profile around what you've decided you want for yourself in this space. The third P is persistence. It's taking consistent, persistent action that is aligned with your goal, with your mission until you get the result that you want. Create momentum for yourself in this career. Don't just hop around and change your mind all the time, but really pursue it until you get in the space. Yasmina has been in the impact space has been at Acumen for 17 and a half years, 18 years at one organization, and has been in the space for longer than that. I spent seven years at the Branson Center of Entrepreneurship, and even now the company that I created along with my brother, Soul Career, is also all about impacting people's lives. So you can hone and design your career in the space however that fits you, but you have to persist and stay focused and not get distracted by things like money and prestige that may not be as important to you as the impact piece. So that's how I'm going to end this episode. You can find an organization that meets your definition of impact, your definition of success, your definition of the change that you want to bring to humanity. I hope that this episode was useful for you. I hope that defining the space helped you to understand all the ways that you can get involved and you can always check out our show notes in the description. We're going to link to some of the resources that I've mentioned in this episode and even more than that so that you can start exploring the industry and finding your fit. Hope this was helpful. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next episode. If you love this episode, remember to hit subscribe and leave us a review. And if you're a professional, executive, or entrepreneur that's interested in taking one of our coaching programs, head on over to soulcareer.com and sign up for a free consultation. We would love to hear from you.